What is up, guys? We are back again with another episode. And in today's episode, we are not joined by Gary. We're joined by someone who is objectively more intelligent, better looking, definitely more muscular, actually has <laughs> hamstrings. Um, and that is, of course, our resident head of coaching, head of nutrition. He's someone who wears multiple hats. He's been on the podcast a few times discussing various things. It is, of course, Brian. Brian, how are you? What's up, Paddy? I'm well. Looking forward to having this conversation and uh, giving, some, giving the people some value. Yes. So today's podcast, like previously, we talked about like how to set up your nutrition. And whenever we talk about that stuff, it is very abstract. It's very like, you know, you need to consume this much protein. You need to consume this many calories. This is how you decide how much fat you need to have in your diet, blah, 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 right? And that's really important information. You need to know that. That's basically the, the science, quote unquote, behind nutrition, right? But anyone who has actually coached people through nutrition protocols or anyone who has actually tried to implement change themselves quickly realizes that that's not the full story. Right. Because and I'm sure you've seen this yourself, Brian, and I'm sure our listeners, they've also seen this either in themselves or in other individuals that they know. You can have a huge amount of knowledge. You can know what to do. You can think, oh, I, I, I know all about calories. I know all about macros. I know all about all this kind of stuff, what food choices I should make, blah, blah, blah. But when you actually try to implement it, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where it actually becomes complicated, right? And this is also where you see a lot of misinformation. You know, it's not necessarily like someone will completely deny some of the foundational science that obviously does happen. But what you'll really see is the way people apply the science is, you know, it's very haphazard. It's very deceptive a lot of the times, you know? And so in today's episode, hopefully we're going to get through a kind of a way to understand nutrition, right? A kind of a way to think about nutrition if you were actually trying to put into practice the stuff, the foundational science, right? So the way I'm kind of thinking and kind of hoping this goes, obviously, look, this is recorded in real time. It could happen. It could go down any, any number of uh, avenues. But effectively, how would you coach someone's nutrition, Brian? You do a lot of nutrition coaching. You're head of nutrition. You help all the people on the team if they have any issues with nutrition and they're like, oh, I don't know how to solve this with this client. Like you jump in there. We have a, a private channel on our internal group that's like coaching issues. We talk through these issues and you're always coming up with great suggestions and oh, think about this and all that kind of stuff, you know? So you have a lot of knowledge in terms of the implementation of nutrition protocols, especially around certain populations. And maybe we'll touch on that a little bit throughout this. Um, but assuming you have someone come to you, all right, let's assume someone's listening to this or they, you know, they're trying to get information about how to put into practice a good nutrition plan. What are you actually thinking, right? So again, we could, we could even make it easier. Someone comes to you and they go, look, Brian, I've tried a few different things with nutrition. I need help. You know, where are you starting with them? You could start in that context, talking to the person about what they have tried and why they obviously weren't successful with it because if they were successful with it they wouldn't be asking me for help necessarily or maybe it was very short-term success that they experienced because it was kind of a, a fad diet that was quite restrictive and they weren't able to stick to it long term so it might have got results yeah that's actually a really important thing 
sometimes people get results by accident. And that is unfortunate because if you don't know why you got the results, you can't replicate it. You can't repeat it. You can't do it in the future. Where you fall into uh, kind of misinformed beliefs around nutrition, you know, you, you stop eating biscuits and you start to lose a lot of weights, so then somehow biscuits are the, the source of all your problems when it comes to, you know, managing your weight, which is obviously not true. It's just the caloric value of the biscuits and how they actually fit into the context of your diet and lifestyle. Right. Yeah, which is actually, uh, sorry, again, to interrupt you, I know, I always, but this is actually a really important thing to understand about nutrition. A lot of what people talk about in the nutrition space is actually just superstition right? It's the exact same mechanism as someone generates a superstition. It's the exact same. The, the people, way people talk about this stuff is more akin to sub superstition than actual understanding of nutrition. For example, like you said, oh, they'll go, oh, I, I cut out um, biscuits and that was the thing. So biscuits become demonized. It's the exact same way as like, let's say you have, a, I don't know, uh, I know there's a cricket field over there, so I'm, I'm going to say cricket, right? You're a cricket uh, player, the way they throw the ball, right? They have a superstitious practice of like, oh, I'm going to do all these things. Maybe they kick the ground, kick the dirt off their shoes. Maybe they, you know, do a little bit of an external rotation before they do it. All of these different things that they have built up that may or may not actually influence the way they throw, right? But they've built up this superstitious model of going, oh, well, I must do all of these things to get the result that I want, which is a, a good throw, right? So that's the way a lot of people actually do their nutrition. And there's nothing necessarily wrong about it. Like superstitions play a role in sport, for example, like people do these superstitions and they become good sportsmen, right? And, you know, it's a reinforcing belief because you do these superstitions, whatever it is, maybe it's before the game, maybe it's before you throw, before you kick, take a free kick, whatever it is, right? And then you get a good result. So you get tied to these superstitions even though they may not actually even influence the process itself or they may influence the process through a different mechanism that is actually you would be better served understanding the mechanism rather than just following a superstition for example you can get like uh, different animals in lab situations like a, a, a classic one is like pigeons they get p pigeons to like like pigeons are actually quite smart, even though they're sky rats. Um, like they're actually quite smart in terms of they will do reinforcing behaviors. They'll do things that will lead to an outcome that they want. Um, so they'll get pigeons to do stuff like press a button and then food will appear, right? So they actually learn that, oh, if I want food, press the button, right? So they can do that kind of, you know, complex reasoning, that kind of complex like modeling of the environment. Whereas if you start randomly introducing food, like they start coming up with these, we'll call them like superstitious beliefs where, you know, they'll start doing the things that they've correlated in their mind with food appearing. So whether it's like grooming themselves, whether it's like fluffing their feathers up, like they've attached those two things in their mind. They're going, oh, well, I must, I must groom myself because that's how food appears, right? And that's kind of the same way people manage their nutrition. They do these superstitious beliefs and go, oh, well, if I do this, like that's when I get the results. And it's not necessarily wrong. I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, I'm a fucking idiot for basically following superstition. Like that's the way our brains are wired. You know, it's like, that's, it's a, a reinforcing system in our brain that allows us to do that. It allows us to, you know, actually see the world in a, a usable way. Right. <laughs> um, but it's not actually the most effective way to manage nutrition because what happens 
when you can't do that superstition? What happens when that superstition is no longer working? Like you don't actually know the fundamental principles that would allow you to actually get the results, right? So what we're doing and a lot of time when we're coaching, we're actually helping people see the, the trees and the forest. You know, it's not just like, oh, well, I can't see, I don't know what to be doing. They can actually see the bigger picture, but then they can hone in on the specifics for them. Yeah. And people do that as well in the same sort of experiments, not just pigeons. Yeah. 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 So uh, it applies to us too. We come up with these, you know, weird patterns that we think are, are is influencing when I think it's a light bulb, isn't it? A light bulb turning on or something like that. There's loads of stuff. And also, you have to remember that psychology is like has a 70% reproduction crisis. So, like, all of the stuff that we're talking about could maybe be true. It might also be <laughs> Unfortunately, psychology a lot of the time is not actually following scientific. the scientific. Yeah. Is that what you want to say? Yeah. Um, it's a quasi pseudoscience. So I always <laughs> call them like science adjacent. I'm like, they're, they're kind of scientific, but not really. Yeah, so we're, <laughs> we're looking at, try, we're trying to get someone from point A to point B. So average diet to brilliant diet, right? So there's, there's a few ways you can obviously go about with this, depending on the person that you have in front of you. Sometimes I will just outline for them right off the bat, like, look, this is probably what kind of a perf perfect quote unquote diet will look like. And these are the different components and these are why the different components are important. I won't always just throw that at them because depending on their, their existing knowledge level, it might be a bit too much, but sometimes I throw it at them and say, look, this is kind of what we're aiming at. So let's actually start putting these pieces together one at a time, right? So that's an important point. You're, you're usually going to try and modify one thing at a time. So it's not overwhelming for somebody, but if, even if you're doing this yourself, you know, or you're getting coaching, first thing you need to do is create an awareness of what you're actually doing currently. Okay. So you can keep a food diary for a week, see what your actual diet looks like. Um, and you know, if you're a client, then we'll get some sort of assessment of your, of your food diary and what, what a week of eating or thereabouts looks like. And then if you have some sort of fundamental, fundamental understanding of the principles of nutrition, you know, you've listened to the previous episode of this podcast, or you have a coach guiding you along, whatever it may be, then you say, okay, these are the kind of, these are the principles that I'm looking to satisfy. This is what my diet looks like. What are the actual limiting factors? Where am I falling down in terms of what a good diet is supposed to look like? So, you know, maybe you are eating three to four meals a day. Okay. So you've got that one ticked off. Not that, you know, meal frequency is especially special, but, um, you know, that usually helps people hit their targets. But you're going to look at your diet or I'm going to look at your diet if I'm coaching you and I'm going to assess, okay, where is this person falling down and where does this, where is this, what are the, what are the big rocks, so to speak that, okay, we start to start to modify this component, then they should see a lot of progress. Um, and you basically just take it one step at a time. So in a lot of cases, it's people's protein and plant intake. Right. So you probably start with one of those, usually protein. Personally, I start with that. Um, and then I, I think another useful concept is to ask yourself, or if you're a coach, ask the person what actually guides your food decisions in the first place. Because, and even, even professionals listening to this, I would encourage you to think about this too, because you probably don't, you probably just, you know, why you make the decisions you do, but you probably don't think about them too much. So, you know, myself and Patty here, 
when we go to sit down to a meal, we're like, okay, cool. This has to have like a certain amount of protein in it. This ideally is going to have some fruit and or vegetables in it. Uh, depending on the situation, it's going to have some carbohydrates. Most likely it's going to have a fat source. Why am I doing all those things? Well, I know the protein supports recovery. It supports are you know, managing appetite and energy throughout the day, provides amino acids to keep me healthy. Um, when I'm eating carbohydrates, okay, well, I have a busy training week. So, you know, I know I want to have plenty of glycogen available to perform that training. I'm going to eat lots of fruits and vegetables to get fiber and make sure I get, you know, phytonutrients to keep me healthy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's like, that's what we're thinking when we're putting a meal together. But for somebody who has very little understanding of all those things at this point, why are they actually putting their meals together? Well, they're probably just putting their meals together because like, all right. I'm awake now. It's the morning. I have to go to work. I know that I should eat something because otherwise I'll just be hungry. And maybe that will affect my, you know, concentration or my performance at work. And I just basically, in a lot of cases, I just want the hunger to go away. Right. That could be the most basic reason for someone putting their meals together. And just on that as well, like, sorry to interrupt again. Um, but most people, when they actually think about this stuff, they actually realize that it's really a combination of habit and convenience that's the for most people that's why they eat the way they do right the habit part is oh well i've just always eaten like this when i grew up my parents gave me cereal in the morning so i'm now 25 years old i still eat cereal in the morning because that's yeah. just habitual like this is what i've always done right and that's probably 90 percent of the time that's probably the guiding factor for people right it's like right your parents taught you to eat like this so you eat like this or for example, maybe you're, you got into college university and, you know, your habits and your fucking schedule changed and all that kind of stuff. And you fell into certain sort of habitual patterns there. Right. But either way, your just general habit is what's, you know, guiding your food choices, your, your diet structure, your nutrition in general. But then also on top of that is this aspect of convenience, right? Because you might go, oh yeah, actually, I really like having, let's just say eggs, fried eggs in the morning. But, you know, you're rushing out the door, you're always waking up late, you don't have enough time to put a meal together. So you're just choosing something that's convenient. And then you also make choices downstream from that, where you go, oh, yeah, I'm going to just have like cereal in my house, you know, so it's very convenient to just eat the cereal in your house because it's already there. You don't have to do all this other stuff. You don't have so you don't have food prepared ahead of time. You're just focusing on the momentary convenience that also aligns with your habits that you've been instilled across your lifetime, you know, and that I find at least for the majority of people are water guiding their food choices. And now, of course, we have to layer on top of that other, we'll call them psychosocial things. Like taste, well. I think the taste. taste of the food. However, I also think a lot of people say taste is a, a real driving factor, but then it actually isn't. Because when you actually talk to them, and you do this all the time, you actually introduced me to this concept of getting people to like basically taste their food, like actually go and like right. sit down and actually eat your food and, you know, chew it and everything. People are like, oh, I actually don't like the taste of this. It's actually too sweet or it's, I don't like the mouth feel or whatever. So it's actually not taste when you actually start peeling back the layers. So it's a really weird one where a lot of this, a lot of the time, again, at least in my coaching experience, it just comes down to habits and convenience you know? And then there's obviously, again, all these other psychosocial things that go along with that, that also further modify it. Yeah. So that's a worthwhile conversation to have with yourself or with, with an existing client. And like, it's sometimes it's a hard question for them to answer until, you know, they, they do eventually boil it down to those factors that we're after discussing. 
So you can see there is a difference between how we make our meal decisions and then how someone who's not really thinking much about their nutrition makes their meal decisions. So now it's about bridging that gap. And I like, I like to think about someone's diet getting from A to B as, as being like an evolution, you know, so it's a, you know, evolution happens quite slowly, uh, relatively speaking. So it's going to slowly uh, change and become better than what it currently is rather than like some crazy chance event where it's just a new diet pattern there in front of them that's looks nothing like their original now that can can work in some cases and that's that's the approach that most kind of fad diets will um will take but the success of those is not very good in most cases and i think it's a lot better to start where someone's diet currently is and just start tweaking things you know and i like to like and i think we all like to take an additive approach to someone's nutrition so rather than telling someone oh, stop eating this, stop eating this, stop eating this, you know, stop eating your cereal for breakfast. Um, it's like, okay, we'll add something to that. So what's missing? Again, that comes back to your, your assessment of your diet. It's like, okay, I have these rudimentary, I have this rudimentary understanding of, of nutrition that, you know, protein sources are important at every meal, plant sources are important at every meal, um, you know, carbohydrates and fats, a little bit variable, but basically important at every meal as well. So, what do I need to change in my say breakfast, lunch, and dinner to satisfy those criteria? Now that I'm actually thinking along the lines of, oh, okay, now my diet is actually serving me to be healthy, to perform well, uh, to feel good, to achieve the kind of body composition that I want to have. Now I'm actually taking all those other things into consideration rather than just habit and convenience and perception of what tastes nice, I suppose. And now you're starting to ch change how you think about this stuff. And, you know, myself and yourself, Patty, and any other professionals listening to this are already thinking about that in that way for so long that it's, you know, it's, it's hard for us to imagine what it's like to just grab food just out of convenience because, you know, internally, if we go to have a meal that doesn't have a protein source or a plant source, we're like, oh, is that really a meal? Uh, I know, I think, I think along those lines anyway. Um, I have literally the vast majority of my friends are not in the health and fitness sphere. So I see the way people eat and I'm like, Oh, I can actually just get into someone's head a lot easier because I'm around that so much, you know? Yeah. So that's what you're trying to do. Trying to get an additive approach. So if you're having your, your bowl of, you know, rice krispies in the morning, um, then it's like, okay, well, what's that actually devoid of? It's devoid of plant sources, devoid of, protein sources um there's no fats in there either really unless you're, you know, milk, yeah you could have if they're using whole milk potentially a little bit um you are getting some carbohydrates so it's like okay how do i actually modify this to include the things that i want to include rather than saying okay now i have to just you know make eggs and, and grilled vegetables because you're already in this situation where you know you're getting up late in the day and like that's that's kind of a topic for another day you know i would sooner see people harvest all the lower hanging fruit and just let uh, turn a phrase there <laughs> uh, and let people like i said evolve their diet over time rather than than stressing essentially about you know because you're, you're trying to make 
I suppose the change as small as possible in terms of an implementation point of view. So if you say to somebody, okay, look, you have to start eating, you know, eggs and smoked salmon and grilled vegetables for breakfast. Suddenly that means, okay, well now I have to get up like half an hour earlier than I usually do. What else am I sacrificing in my day to day? That's suddenly going to create friction in terms of me implementing this habit. And that's probably why a lot of these things fail because you kind of have the knowledge you're like, yeah, okay, I, I can see how that would be a good breakfast to have. But there's so much friction there because it's so far removed from what you're currently doing. It requires a greater degree of, of I use sacrifice in quotation marks, like it's a bit of a strong term, but I haven't found a better one as of yet. But you are sacrificing something, like you're sacrificing that extra half an hour in bed. And then what's the knock-on effect of that? Does that mean you have to, you know, watch half hour less of your TV show the night before so you go to bed earlier so you can get up earlier? You know, so there's there's a knock-on effect there. Whereas if I just say to you, okay, buddy, let's just add a protein shake to your breakfast, right? It takes an extra maybe 60 seconds to implement. It takes that box of, okay, now I have a protein source at my breakfast. I haven't had to think overly hard about this because you know i'm still getting up in the morning i'm still on my you know automatic habit of going to get my rice krispies but now i just have a protein shake and maybe i have an apple as well right so now i have some fruit uh, as a plant source now i have a protein source uh, and then suddenly my diet you know if you if you extrapolate that kind of thinking across someone's whole day their diet is actually going to look a lot better right and you let people you know crack away at that so you might yeah you know, again this is often in practice looks like, okay, let's adjust your breakfast first of all. And that's usually the weakest meal in someone's day in terms of trying to actually tick the boxes that are important when it comes to nutrition for, you know, health performance and body composition. Um, So you might start there. That's often where I'll start with people. But again, this is based on the assessments that you do with them. Um, And on that, like, this is one of those things where the more you coach the more you start to be able to assess someone and see what interventions would make sense for them and that's a very uh cop out kind of a statement to make being like oh you just have to be a good coach to be able to do this stuff and that's not really helpful for people listening either if you are a coach or if you're trying to do this stuff yourself so in a more practical way the way i think of it is some people respond really well to small interventions right they do a small intervention like what's the smallest thing we can do so that you see it as a win right and that could be anything right it depends on the individual but think of it really small right some people really like that approach because it almost feels like they're doing nothing at all but they still get the win they still get the momentum behind them they still get the wind in their sails and they're going okay i can build on this so some people really respond well to that other individuals really respond well to okay we're going to do the fucking hardest thing first. <laughs> we're going to do the biggest stone. We're going to turn that over. We're going to get that going. And that for people really allows a lot of the other habits to kind of fall into place, right? So we can come at it from these two angles. Now, the vast majority of people are going to be somewhere in the middle of that, right? They're going to be like, okay, we're not going to tackle the absolute biggest, hardest thing to do. That's just, it's going to be too hard for them, right? But we could do this thing, right? So we choose an intervention that we know we can do, that we know we'll be successful with, and then we'll build momentum from there, right? But we're choosing something that's still actually impactful. We're not choosing something that, yeah, it has a mild impact. Like maybe say, for example, oh, we're just going to start drinking eight glasses of water per day. You know, maybe that's what they need for that individual, whatever, right? You're just like, right, I want you to drink three liters of water per day. Let's just put it at that, right? Um, And for them, that might be a very small intervention to make. All they have to do is fill up a three liter 
three liter bottles and go, okay, by the end of the day, I have to have these drank, right? So for them, that might be a very small intervention, but you start seeing at the end of the day, they're like, oh, I've actually, I was able to accomplish this, right? Um, so it really depends where the individual is at and what they think they can do and then what they can actually do in practice, right? So again, this is a large part of the coaching process. It is about let's actually meet you where you are and let's actually do things that we know we can actually do, but are at the edge of your, let's call it a competence or your abilities, right? Where you're like, okay, this is still a challenge, right? I still feel like I have to put some effort into this because if it's, if it's just easy, you're just going to be like, this is too easy, right? You need to feel some sort of discomfort is the wrong word, but you need to feel like you're doing something, right? Um, so that's the way I kind of conceptualize it. And that's the way I find a lot of people respond better to when you conceptualize it like that, right? If you're like, you can even literally just ask them because, you know, the coaching process is a process of talking being like, do you think you respond better to doing smaller habits and building momentum? Or do you think you respond better to tackling the big issue and then letting the other stuff kind of fall into place after we've tackled the big issue, right? Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes back to the, the name of our business, like triage method. That's kind of what we're doing. We're triaging, what are the habits? What are the things that can be tackled? And then we're coming up with a process of going, okay, well, what way are we actually tackling this, right? So for the individual, again, it might be a case of, they just like building momentum. They've never had success with dieting. So for them, their confidence in being able to stick to a diet is really low. So I'm going to focus on smaller habits. So they feel like, oh, I actually, I'm actually able to do this. I'm actually able to get some wins here. I'm actually able to build my confidence and then I'm able to get better results over time, right? So that's a really important thing to realize if you're coaching individuals, especially, but even if you're doing this yourself, you're just trying to implement good nutrition practices, that's something that is really beneficial to just go, do I think I would respond better to building smaller habits over time? Or do I think I respond better to really tackling the big limiting factor here? You know, And again, it, there is no right or wrong in this. It yeah. depends on your lifestyle, everything that's gone on in your life, et cetera. Yeah. And I think, I think there has to be an element of being realistic and objective about this as well, because I think for people who maybe want to do this themselves will have a tendency to want the results as soon as possible and the greatest magnitude as possible. So they may say, oh yeah, I'm just going to tackle five of the biggest things in week one. And look, that's probably not going to lead to the outcome that you're looking for long-term because, and look, you have, like if you're doing this yourself, you have to be really objective and you have to be really diligent about monitoring your actual behavior you need to be able to review at the end of the day or at the end of the week okay what are the actual things i set out i wanted to do here and how did they go and if they didn't go as planned why not um because there is that allure of you know the more instant gratification and it's like you know if i'm if i'm trying to like rapidly change my body composition because no one wants to wait around for that right not we want it we want it now as soon as possible um but just keep in mind that the approach will have to match your level of ability and level of ability to engage and your competence level and your, how able you are to do this. Um, so just, you know, try to be objective when making these decisions rather than saying, Oh, okay, I can just tackle all the biggest things straight away and that'll lead to the biggest result, obviously. And that's what I want. But if that means that you give up because 
it's too difficult when you try to undertake this um or you know maybe you do get it going and, and the plates are spinning but it's a real effort to keep them spinning you know you have to find that sweet spot for yourself um and i was uh and like yeah i mean people don't necessarily like the idea of like small and slow change building momentum but i do think it works well for a lot of people uh but then like in some in some context again so this comes down to the individual that's that's sitting in front of you if you're a coach you know if someone has fat loss goals and they're binge eating multiple times per week like you know addressing that is not you know a little small change it's one of the it's the log jam in the river is how i usually describe it it's like once you take that out of the way everything else you want is probably going to flow pretty smoothly like you know i've had like clients before who've like had magnificent diets on paper and it's only the binge eating that was basically limiting them in terms of what they wanted to achieve um so once you get that log out of the river everything flows smoothly but that is an example of you know one of these bigger things that you need to tackle because if you do that yeah everything else will go pretty well and obviously it depends on what the rest of their diet looks like but like say in that context where someone's diet is pretty good already but they still have these issues with binge eating it's like okay well let's just address that because if we don't you're just going to get frustrated with the lack of results because you know you're eating well aside from that but you know if you're putting away you know a couple of thousand calories um you know two three four evenings a week because of the binges then that's definitely going to hold you back so um there's actually nothing worse than feeling like you're putting in a huge amount of effort like you said the word sacrifice earlier on like feeling like you're you're sacrificing uh and then not getting the results or potentially actually getting worse results like actually getting further away from your goals right like there's absolutely nothing worse and you see this all the time in, in coaching like you'll see someone go oh man i'm eating like 1200 calories monday to friday so they feel like objectively they're like i feel i'm starving monday to friday and then friday evening saturday sunday they're way overeating because they felt this huge amount of like sacrifice this huge amount of effort during the week and then they overeat to compensate basically like your body is you know, smart. It wants to keep you alive. Um, and all of a sudden they weigh themselves on Monday and they're like, I'm actually up a kilo, you know? So for you as an individual, that is so disheartening because you feel like you've put in a huge amount of work all week, you know, five days, you were like, oh, I'm bang on top of this. And then at the end of the week, overall, you're like, I'm actually further away from my goal than I wanted to be right. Like there's, it, it's so disheartening and you see this, unfortunately you see this all the time. And this is a very classic example of people saying like, Oh, dieting doesn't work for me. And this is, you know, quite often what's actually happening. Like they're on a diet that's overly restrictive. That's overly uh, inducing of a, a feeling of sacrifice. And then they actually fall off the diet. Right. Like if they actually stuck to the diet, they would have got results. Right. But the way the diet was set up, it was set, it set them up for failure because no logical sane person would be able to stick to that diet long-term, right? And that is the, for a lot of people, that's the actual issue. We're not actually setting the diet up correctly because we're not taking into account all the different nuances that apply to us as an individual. Yeah. Uh, and in, in the sense of how we're going to move this along, then it's like, okay, it's basically just, review and assessment of limiting factors 
that are, again, you're trying to bridge this gap from average to brilliant diet A to B. So again, you're, okay, so let's say you've done this for a couple of weeks, right? You started having your, your protein shake and your apple with your breakfast and that's going well, right? And again, you're, you're building momentum. It's like, okay, you're just going to have to say, okay, well, what's next now? Like what else in my dietary pattern needs modification? Again, based on the understanding I have of the principles of nutrition, which it's like, it's really important to have some of those intact because otherwise you're basically just on a, another kind of random diet that, you know, has a title and you don't really. You have to know what you're aiming at. That's the end of it. You know, you have to know what you're aiming at. And we're not talking about like, Oh, a specific diet. We're talking about the fundamental principles. Like you're aiming at a certain amount of protein. You're aiming at a certain amount of calories. You're aiming at a certain amount of carbohydrates, fats, fiber, a certain, you know, diet structure. Like that's what you're aiming at. And you have to know that ahead of time because otherwise you're just doing random protocols. Yeah. And you, so you're, you're thinking about like, okay, well, like, again, it depends what the actual specific goals are as well. You know, often it's fat loss, but like not always. Um, well, you know, if fat loss is the goal, then all right, hopefully you have this rudimentary understanding that, all right, my caloric intake across the week is important here. And that is one of the variables I'm trying to account for. So, you know, and like some of the things that we're doing there and talking about, it's like, okay, Basically, the more protein and plants that you eat, the more satiated you are, the more that squeezes out maybe, you know, hypercaloric snacks that you might usually be consuming. You know, if and you know, like if you're going from your normal patterns, like all right, I have my cereal in the morning, uh, at like you know, 8 a.m. or whatever, like probably by half nine, you're you're probably pretty hungry again because there's been virtually no satiety in that meal, maybe a little bit from the milk. But that's that potentially leads to like, oh, I'll go have a, like a coffee now and I may have like, you know, a bit of chocolate or a biscuit or something with that. So all those little things, because your diet is set up poorly, then move you away from where you actually want to be. But then, all right, you actually start having more satiating meals. It's like, oh, I actually think I could just go to, to lunch now instead of having that, you know, coffee and snack or maybe just have the coffee because I'm not really hungry. Um so by taking this additive approach to nutrition in, time, in terms of adding things in, you also by default often squeeze out the things that are, you know, maybe the kind of lower value items in your diet that are probably in the way to a certain extent. Um, but then you just have to look at, at your week and assess what's going on. So like, like maybe you build yourself up to a point where it's okay, your Monday to Friday looks pretty good, like you're talking about there, Patty. Um, but it's, it's the weekends that you're having issues with. So it's like, okay, well, why are, why are they limiting factors now? Again, I'm just going to keep talking about limiting factors because that's essentially a large part of what the job is, is identifying those and coming up with solutions. Yeah. Um, so it's like, okay, well, I, I tend to eat out, you know, three times on a Saturday and it's like, you know, I go for a big breakfast and maybe have a big lunch and then I go out for dinner and some drinks. It's like, okay, well, like if again, you have this sort of understanding of nutrition and you have to have a a decent understanding of like composition of foods, you know, otherwise you're just going to look at a food and say, that's just a meal. Like I don't really have any, and like, you know, that's, that's pretty common in terms of maybe people until they get their bearings on the composition of foods, they just see food as being like, Oh, that's, you know, healthy. And this is not healthy, but 
if you could easily put together a salad that has, you know, avocado and toasted nuts and cheese and a, like a hefty glug of olive oil and all these other high caloric foods, which are, yes, uh, objectively, you know, they're nutritious and they have uh, a high degree of, of micronutrients and phytonutrients potentially. And they might be high in fiber, depending on what we're looking at. But that still doesn't take away from the fact that they're still high in calories and that you could be eating that and still getting a huge calorie load, um, but still feeling like you're doing it, making a better choice. And like you are making a better choice, but depending on what your goals are, you just need to have an awareness of that uh, and say, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe I, I, I'm not so heavy handed with the olive oil in that context, or, you know, maybe I just skip the, uh, the nuts or something. Cause I already know I have like two, three servings of fat in this meal already. And again, this is like, if you don't have a decent understanding of nutrition, then it's going to be hard for you to spot those things. Like for us in coaching, it's like, okay, we're basically reviewing people's food diaries and saying, all right, these are the, the tweaks that I think you could make to better serve your goals, right? So someone could be, you know, over-reliant on say bread or rice or something for, as their main carbohydrate source. It's like, okay, it actually get more satiety and greater food volume if you sub like one rice meal out for potatoes, right? Because potatoes are more filling. They're also more nutritious. That is a tweak that we can make that, you know, as professionals, like that's obvious to us, but it's not obvious to the person who is a beginner here. Um, so you're obviously helping people understand that along the way. It's like, all right, this is why we would make that change or even just, you know, changing your white rice to brown rice because it's a bit higher in fiber. You're, you have fiber as a goal in this, framework of nutrition that you're trying to satisfy um and again so that helps you get a win in that context again you're gonna be it's gonna be more filling most likely you're gonna have more satiety from that meal you're gonna end up eating less um so you can kind of go on and on and on about this but that's that's how you're moving someone along uh the spectrum in terms of making their diet look a lot better um and you know i think well a lot of people are familiar with this kind of hierarchy of importance when it comes to nutrition you know thanks to eric helms uh putting that together but you know you're trying to satisfy the overall calorie content of the diet then you're looking at macronutrients um and then you can get into things like you know meal timing um and supplements and things like that but you have to have an over an overview of what you're trying to achieve as you as you said earlier um otherwise yeah. you're just you're just doing things at random Exactly. And practically speaking, the way I do this in, in my coaching, and obviously, look, this is different. This is going to be different for everyone. And this is not, this is my generic mode. This is my like, oh, default, let's do it this way. Obviously, that's going to be, mo- excuse me, that's going to be modified based on what the individual in front of me is actually presenting with, you know, but my generic way of doing it is what we're going to do is I'm going to assess this individual. I'm going to, you know, plug their data into some sort of calculator. I'm going to get them to track their food that they've been eating for a week. And I'm going to kind of get these two numbers going like, this is, you know, the generic, oh, your body weight is this and your activity level is this. This is going to spit me out some sort of calorie number, right? So I take that number. Then I go, okay, what is this individual actually eating and how has their body weight changed? So I'll get them to track their food using something like my fitness pal and I'll get them to track their food for a week. Right. And then I kind of marry those two things together going like, all right, it says that it should be 2,500 calories, whatever. Right. And they're eating 2,500 calories, but their weight went down. 
Okay, so that tells me there's some discordance here, or maybe their tracking was inaccurate, whatever. But either way, I'm going to marry those two things together, right? So I'm going to get an idea of their caloric needs, right? It's going to take about a week to get there, right? But in that week as well, getting them to track their food, I'll be like, okay, so this is how you're generally structuring your diet, right? So this is what you're doing for breakfast. This is what you're doing for lunches. This is what you're doing for dinners, whatever, right? So I'm building up that picture as well, like looking at their food log, right? And then from that, what I'll often do is the next week, I will, the first intervention I'll do is all I want you to try to do is hit these numbers, right? And this is basically throwing them in the deep end, right? There's, there's no two ways about it. I'm, I'm basically going, I know you're going to fail, right? I'm telling them, I'm like, I know you're not going to get this perfectly. That's okay, right? That's not what we're actually trying to do here, right? So I'll go, right, I want you to try to hit these numbers and maybe I'll give them a range. I'll go, right, this is the most important thing. Like, again, it depends on what the individual is looking for. It depends on their goals, et cetera, right? But the main two important things for me, at least at the start is, I want to make sure that their calories are in a good place, right? So they're in and around where we think they should be, right? And then I'm going, right, are we getting enough protein, right? So protein is like yourself, that's the main thing that I'm going to focus on first and foremost, right? So I'm like, right, here's your calories, here's your protein. For some individuals, I might also be like, right, this is how much fat we want to consume, this is how much carbs, whatever, right? And I'm getting them to do that for a week, right? And again, I'm setting them with the expectation, this is not going to be perfect. They're not, they're probably not going to hit these targets. Right. So I get them to do that. And then we reassess the diet again. We go, okay, your target was 200 grams of protein. Let's just say that. Right. Mm. How did you do? Right. Oh, well, three of the days you actually got 220 grams of protein. Okay. So you overconsume the protein on those days, which isn't a bad thing. It's just, you know, we were able to do that. And then a few of these days, you only got 130 grams of protein. Right. So then I go, well, what was the difference between these two days? What happened on these two days? One of these days you were like, oh, well, I really had it in my mind that I needed to hit my protein the day before I didn't get enough. So I made sure my breakfast had protein. I made sure my lunch had protein. I made sure my dinner had protein, you know, whatever it is. Right. So they've done some habits that allowed them to hit those goals. Right. Or those targets. Right. And then I'll go, okay, you think you could repeat those habits every day? Right. Sometimes they're like, yeah, actually it wasn't that hard. It was just, I had to keep it in mind. Right. Other times they're going to go, you know what? It was actually really hard to do that. I was, you know, I, whatever, there was some barrier to that for them to do that. It was just really hard. Right. So then we go, okay, so how do we actually modify your habits, your actual implementation of this so that you can hit your target? Right. We're going to meet them again in the middle somewhere. Right. So by the second week, by the end of the second week, we've got this idea of, okay, these are the targets that we want to hit. This is how you tried to hit them. And this is where we failed. And this is where we succeeded, right? From that, then we can go, okay, what are our biggest, you know, limiting factors? What are the biggest things that we could do to really get the results that we want or to allow you to hit these targets? Now, sometimes the targets might actually just be unrealistic for them. They might go, Mm. okay, yeah, theoretically, you know, 250 grams of protein might be the best for your goal, right? But practically speaking, they're just not able to do that. It's it's just it's just a, it's a no go, right? So we're going to have to modify the targets, right? And um, but generally, if you've coached a lot of people and you know the kind of person you've done effective like goal setting, you've done effective like you know intake of this individual, you've got all the stuff, you're going to be able to set relatively good targets from the start, right? But again, go back to the previous episode where it's like, all right, setting your nutrition targets, setting up a diet, right? So go back to that, understand this is how you would set up a diet. This is how many calories, this is how you work out your calories, this is how you work out your protein, et cetera, right? And then we did all that. We saw how they tried to implement that. And then from there, I'm going, okay, you succeeded here. You didn't get this. How do we start moving more towards what we want to move towards, right? And for 
every individual that's going to look different. And that's where it really becomes an actual coaching process where we go, okay, what are you actually doing correctly that in terms of the goals that we're trying to achieve? And then what are you doing that is pulling you away from those targets, right? And then we just slowly, iteratively get them closer and closer to those targets, right? And that's effectively how I coach. How do you think about that process? Yeah, no, that's great. And that that looks a lot like what I'll do with a lot of people as well. Um, because by throwing them in at the deep end, which it definitely is, and as you said, it's really important to set the expectation that like, I don't expect you to do well here. Because even tracking food in itself is a skill. And if, if it's not something someone has done before, they're going to be pretty shit at it, right? It, you know, despite the fact that, you know, the apps make it easy, although now my fitness pal is putting its barcode scanner behind a paywall, which is so dumb, but... Fairness, they've had a free app for like 20 years, so... <laughs> I mean, they already have a premium app, but then they're, they're obviously like, okay, we don't have enough people on the premium, so we have to do something here, right? Yeah, from a business perspective, we can see. Yeah, but... it, it makes sense. Like, again, if you're quote-unquote premium features, I actually don't even think the barcode scanning app, part of it is actually any... Well, kind of shit. Most people who have a lot of experience with my fitness pal say that, but for someone who has never used it before, it is very useful to be able to say, oh, cool. I can just point my phone at this thing and it'll give me the, the numbers that I need. Um, but yeah, you're going to be pretty bad at, at tracking anyway at the start. Um, and like, you see this all the time as well, right? That, you know, cause, cause you, you, you search for a food, like you search for a scone, let's say you're having a scone, uh, as a, as a tea break or something and it's like you know there's, there's 20 different options for a scone and they range from you know 150 calories up to 600 calories and it's like well how do i know which one it is and you know poor clients naive as they are they're like oh it's probably the 150 one it's like you know it's probably not so that's how you end up with people being like oh i was only eating 1200 calories but um you know it's i'm still not getting the results that I want it's like okay well you probably have to increase that by you know 100% and then you're probably where you're where you're actually at um but yeah look it, it it gives you a huge amount of teaching opportunities which is really useful and as you said it's like okay we've seen where you've fallen short and then really importantly what was different on the days that you actually did well right and I had that I was looking at a food diary yesterday where this girl hit her protein i don't know like four or five days out of the seven and literally the only difference on the days where she didn't was she didn't have her a post-workout protein shake so she had something that was low protein she had like maybe just cereal you know she's trained first thing in the morning maybe she just had cereal and didn't have a protein shake and then other days she did have it it's like that's literally the habit that bridges the gap for you in this in this context of hitting your daily protein um but then in that method they're discussing people will learn a lot from okay i can see where i'm falling short now i can actually see how different foods and different meal combinations contribute all right so maybe i see now like oh like that breaded chicken that i usually have for dinner like there's a lot of carbs and fat in that um whereas if i just had like you know unbread like minimally processed chicken breasts like oh that's just basically protein and then you know I can still have my normal starches on the side and the meal is a lot more balanced, right? So that's where people start to learn a lot about the process um, because like, you know, they're floundering a little bit, but you give them advice and you say, look, we can actually get a good overview of what you've done this week. 
where you've been successful, why you've been successful, which is really important. Um, and then compare that to the days you haven't been so successful. So yeah, I think I like that approach a lot and use it in a lot of contexts as well. Um, yeah, and, the, and the thing about it is, look, nobody, well, very few people actually want to be tracking calories for the rest of their life, right? Like I personally, I've said it before, I actually enjoy tracking calories. I like just seeing the numbers. I like being able to go, here's the data. This is what I, I can literally fucking scroll back fucking nearly 10 years and go, Oh, what was I eating on this day? Oh, here you go. Here's the data. You know, like I can actually do that. I like that. Right. But for the vast majority of people, they don't want to be tracking for the rest of their life. Right. And that's understandable. However, we can use this as a tool. We can use this as a tool to build better nutrition knowledge. We can use it as a tool to allow you to actually see what the diet like fundamentals are you know you can actually see what's going on what works for you what doesn't work for you you can actually start you're collecting data you can actually start seeing all the variables at play you know you can see where you're making really good choices with the diet and you're you can see where you're not making good choices and one of the things that a lot of people will do which is actually a very poor overall approach to it is they won't track when they go off track, right? In their mind, they're like off track. They're like, oh, I'll just, I fucked it up. So I just didn't track for the rest of the day. It's really important to track that stuff. Even if you're like, oh, I'm 100% off track. I'm 100% eating like crap. I know I shouldn't be eating like this. Track all that stuff, right? And it's important because then you can start seeing what goes wrong. And you can, and this is a real fucked up thing, but you can start making better choices when you're off track, right? Or you feel quote unquote off track, right? And you can go, okay, well, I don't actually need to overconsume all of this kind of stuff, or I don't need to make these choices because, you know, whatever. Like you can actually make better choices even when you're not making good choices because you have an understanding, right? So I understand that a lot of people don't want to track for the rest of their life. So what we're generally doing is we're using that tool, we're using like my fitness pal or whatever other tracking app, we're using it to build a better understanding of the diet. We're using it to build a better structure for the diet. And then we're effectively removing the scaffolding, right? So the actual tracking of the diet, that's just the scaffolding, right? It's not the actual finished piece, right? So at some stage, what we want to do is look at our diet and go, yeah, look, it's actually sturdy enough. It's actually well-built enough that we no longer need the scaffolding, right? And you're not, for most people, they're not just going to remove the scaffolding of a building like overnight, right? It's going to come down. It's going to take a week. It's going to take two weeks, whatever, right? It's going to take a while. So that's the same process you would do when you start removing actual tracking. You start going, okay, I know what a good meal looks like for me. I know what a good day's eating looks like for me to be in and around 2,500 calories at 200 grams of protein. I know what that looks like. I know what choices I have to make. I know how to, you know, structure my diet to be able to achieve that. And then you start going, okay, well, why am I still tracking? Right? Why do you still need to keep tracking to stay on track? Right? And for a lot of people, they, they just don't. What I'll often do with people is I'll start weaning them off it going, okay, I want you to eat normally, like the way you've been eating the way, same structure, you're going to eat like different foods most days, it's going to be a bit up and down, you're not going to be perfect with it. But I just don't want you to track on those days. But at the end of the day, I want you to track, right? So yeah. We'll call this like rec. There's a few ways to do it, and we, we talk about it in you know different podcasts and all over the place. And um, but there's a few ways of doing it. But we'll go. Okay, I want you to just retroactively track at the end of the day. What did you eat during that day? You do that, and you go. Okay, I actually was pretty damn close to where I thought I was. I, I should be. Cool. Right. So we know you're able to do that. 
right? And then we start removing it more and more, right? We go, okay, all I want you to do is at the end of the week, we're not tracking at all during this week or maybe three days, right? Four days, whatever it is. And at the end of one of those days, I just want you to track what you did two days ago, right? And you go, okay, yeah, I was still pretty much on track, right? And then we go, okay, you don't really need to keep tracking to stay on track. You've shown yourself that you're able to do it. You're, you've, you've eaten a few days, just normal free living, and you've been in and around the targets we want to hit, right? So then we're going to remove the tracking. We're going to remove it entirely, right? And then we might periodically track just to make sure that we're still in and around. You know, your lifestyle might change, your life circumstances might change. You know, you wear, I don't know, in, in, in university and now you're in the workplace and, you know, you have different timing, different meal structure, whatever. It's, it's always going to be changes. So during those time periods, we might bring back tracking just to kind of re-establish structure kind of we're basically touching up the facade of the building so we have to put some scaffolding in place right but the same diet structure the same basic fundamental understanding is still in place right and that's the way people need to view like tracking it's just the scaffolding it's not the actual diet right it's just a tool to help you actually build the diet right and then when we've built the diet we slowly start removing that scaffolding right? We're not actually using the scaffolding anymore. So why are we like, if you're eating 2,500 calories, you barely even need to look at the app to be on track. You only ever look at it when you're like, oh, I went out for dinner. I don't know how much like protein is in lasagna and I wanted to have lasagna. Okay. How many calories was in that? You know, like you're just using it for foods that you don't habitually eat, don't regularly eat just to get an understanding of how many calories are in them. Right. So you can use it for that, but the vast majority of the time, most people, once they get into a habit of it, they're eating relatively similar stuff day to day. They're eating relatively in and around the calories they need to eat. Why are you still using the scaffolding? Why is the scaffolding still up? Let's start removing it. Let's get you to a place where eating is more intuitive. It's never intuitive. Like the way most people eat is intuitive and intuitive eating, you know, we've an obesity epidemic, right? So when people say intuitive eating, what they actually mean is information informed intuitive eating, right? Or nutritional science informed intuitive eating, right? So we've structured our diet in a way that's going to lead to success. We know what that looks like. We know how to eat like that. We know what food choices to make. And then we're removing the scaffolding. We're, we're actually removing the tracking entirely, except maybe periodically just to make sure we're still on track. You know, again, touch up the facade, you know, life changes, whatever, right? But we've gotten to a stage where you know roughly what your breakfasts should look like. You know roughly what your lunches should look like, your dinners, your snacks, whatever. And you're like, okay, well, during a diet phase, I want to you know, eat a little bit less. Maybe I'm going to just drop out carbs in this meal or reduce carbs in this meal or maybe fats or whatever it is, right? And you know how to do that. Oh, you want to gain weight. Oh, well, I don't actually need to track the calories. I just know that I need to consume an extra 300 calories and, you know, oh, cool this, you know, whatever, this carbohydrate source has an extra 300 calories, or I'm just going to introduce like, I don't know, a, a berry smoothie into my day. And it's like, oh, there's an easy way to just get a few extra calories. You know, like you're making food choices rather than calorie and macronutrient choices. Right. And that's generally how I move people along the diet. And again, it's going to look different for everyone. Like some people are, you know, they fit differently in that continuum, especially if they have different issues going on. But that's generally how I'm thinking of doing it. Would that be similar to the way you would do it, Brian? Yeah. Um, I, that approach is helping you assemble a diet that is, again, looking like it's supposed to look for you and, and your goals. The only point I'd want to add there is that, like people need to be sort of active in the tracking process because you see that sometimes where people are quite passive about it and they're just kind of, 
you know, mindlessly, okay, I scanned the thing or looked at the thing and then, all right, plug in and that's how it affects my numbers. But like take, take some, like I think in the early stages, you'll be less inclined to do that because there's so much information that you're like trying to learn this skill essentially. Um, but when people get sort of accustomed to tracking, they might just become a little bit passive with it. And then when you try and take it away, they're like, oh, but I'm not actually sure you know like if you've been paying if you've been paying attention to what you're doing you should be fine it's like yeah i know what i know what a a well composed breakfast actually looks like physically so i put it together and like a lot of this is is habitual right as soon as you learn what you're supposed to do it's like you know when when i'm gonna go down and make my morning porridge now after this podcast like I'm going to two, two scoops of oats into the bowl like I do every fucking day, right? So and I know I'm going to have the bowl of berries and I know I'm going to have a protein shake and I already know, like, you know, I, I guess I can, t- I'm not tracking, but I guess I can tell you like the calories and the macronutrients, um, roughly speaking, but only because I've done it so often, right? Because your diet is not going to be hugely variable. You just have to make sure that the habits support the targets you're trying to meet. Um, so do pay attention, be active in the process of tracking. So, you, you know, someone asks you, you're like, oh, I've been tracking for six months. And someone asks you, oh, how many carbs are in a slice of bread? And you're like, oh, let me just uh, check my fitness pal. It's like, like if you want to be, you know, able to take that scaffolding down confidently, you need to be awake, woke in the process. Um, like it doesn't actually need to be like a huge, like a you know, time consuming endeavor. Like, you know, you don't need to know every single food. Like if you habitually consume those foods, yeah, hundred percent, you should know a little bit more about them. But if someone asks you again, a food, that you like how many carbs are in a fucking Mandarin? I'm like, what? I haven't had a fucking Mandarin in, I don't know, 10 years. Like, I don't know. Right. Like it's not, but you can probably guess based yeah, you, on your you, knowledge you of exactly. other foods. Again, that's, that's a, that's a whole other thing. You know, obviously look, we're health and fitness professionals. You would hope that we would be able to do some, you know, approximation of it, but for just the average person, the way I kind of get them to think about it is, look, the best way to do this is to just understand a meal structure that works for you, right? Because most people, they're going to eat three to four times per day, right? So if you just know what a rough, whatever, let's just say it's 600 calories for breakfast looks like, and you know what roughly, let's just 25 grams of protein looks like that are bre- quote unquote breakfast choices, like whatever that means, you know, um, but you're, you're choosing foods, so you're like, okay. I know I have to consume roughly 600 calories at this meal. And I know I have to get 25 grams of protein and I know what rough food selections allow me to do that. Like you don't have to have a huge amount of knowledge in terms of like different foods and, you know, all the kind of stuff. You just have to know that if you do that and all your breakfasts look relatively similar in terms of calories and protein, you're going to be on track. Right. And the only way you can actually do that long-term is if you actually put some sort of structure on the diet, right? And this is where I find a lot of people fall down when they actually try to transition away from calorie and macro tracking is that they've actually never set some sort of structure for their diet, right? What they're really doing is they are haphazardly tracking stuff, you know, earlier in the day. And then at the end of the day, they're basically just chasing whatever they have left, right? Oh, actually I haven't consumed. And you see this a lot of times, like probably the people that do this the most are younger guys right and the reason for that is generally they have like a higher calorie you know, uh, output so they're on ca- higher calories in general so 
they can kind of, you know, they can eat a, a thousand calorie meal for lunch and still have, you know, a thousand five hundred calories left for dinner and have already consumed uh, a breakfast as well. You know, so it's like they have higher calorie output, they have a higher calorie demand, so they're able to get away with a lot more in the diet, right? But you also see them very rarely, actually, very often, I should say, very often not hitting their targets because they are leaving it all to the end of the day and maybe they're not hungry. And, you know, you see this all the time as well, especially in like people that are like, oh, I can't gain weight. And you look at their diet and it's like, you basically act like a pigeon all day. You know, you're just eating like scraps basically. And then at the end of the day, you're like, oh, fuck, I have to eat 3000 calories. Like, obviously that's going to be quite hard, right? So if you actually build a structure and you go, okay, this is what breakfast should look like. This is what lunches should look like. This is what dinner should look like. Like you've built a structure, right? Because if you were just using like my fitness pal or whatever as scaffolding, and then the structure you built is like a fucking sandcastle, like this, this, the scaffolding was actually not even important, you know, because you were building a sandcastle, right? <laughs> so what we want to do is build like the Parthenon or something. Like we want to build something that's beautiful. We want to build something that is actually going to last fucking thousands of years, right? And that's what we want to build. So we're using the scaffolding to build that. And that involves a whole host of things. It involves, okay, we need to get the the quantitative aspects of the diet dialed in. So the like calories, the macros, et cetera. But then also, and also, you know, there's a lot of other things that go along with that, that we could really dive deep on, but it's rarely necessary. Like, oh, what's your vitamin E status? Like, yeah, like, (laughs) That kind of stuff, like you don't necessarily need to do that. It actually comes up low very often uh, when I assess, funnily enough, vitamin E. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, but then you've got your qualitative aspects, right? And this is like, again, multifactorial here. We've got qualitative in terms of your food choices. So your actual like composition of the diet. So yeah, you can have someone that's hitting their targets. They can be hitting their calories, their macros, but they're eating like fucking Twinkies and protein shakes, right? It's like, okay, that's probably not the best way to go about this, right? So the qualitative aspect, are we eating enough fruit and veg? Are we getting enough like different food choices? What's your red meat intake? Like what's your like fish intake? Like like that kind of stuff. So the qualitative aspects, we're also building that up, right? We're going, okay, well, you know, we want to eat red meat, let's say twice per week. You know, if you're a menstruating woman, it's like, okay, a lot of menstruating women don't consume red meat and as a result have low iron so it's like okay well we want to build this into the diet so that you're consuming enough iron or if not you're consuming some other source of iron in the diet like we're, we're looking into these things just to make sure it's set up correctly now some of that stuff is outside the, the scope of practice for a lot of individuals like it's you know dietetics basically but either way you know we're, we're making you know good educated choices like including fatty fish in our week you know if you know you want to have the benefits of omega-3s, which everyone does. Um, so we're looking at those qualitative aspects. And then we're also looking at the kind of psychosocial stuff, right? So does this stuff actually fit into your you know, habitual intake in terms of the environment you're in? Is it like, are you actually able to eat these kind of foods regularly? Are you, you know, living in a, a food swamp or a food desert? Or like, are the people in your environment eating in a similar way? Or do they care about stuff? Is that like, again, a lot of our diet is built around uh habit and you know convenience like are there other people in your house that are just eating like crap basically and it's always around in your house and it's just it's hard to stay on track could be the same in the work environment like you see this all the time in the lead up to like the christmas period where you know there's like 
boxes of different uh, chocolates and stuff in the office and at home. And it's just, it's just easy to just, oh, I'll grab a handful of those and I'll eat two or three. And it's like, okay, you're just adding calories to the diet every single day by doing this, which isn't bad, but very often people aren't accounting for them, you know? Um, so we're using the scaffolding of, you know, my fitness pal or whatever to really build a good diet, good structure to the diet, you know, a good eating pattern. Obviously it's not going to be the same every day, but you know, we have a general, you know, structure in place and it could be different on the weekends. That's often something that will happen with a lot of my clients where we'll be like, Oh, we have four meals during the week. And then on the weekend, we only, we get up late and, you know, we have like a brunch and then we have a, a dinner. So they're actually only eating twice on a Saturday and maybe three times on, on a Sunday, but either way we're building that into the structure. Cause they're like, okay, I know what roughly the choices I need to make on a Saturday to make sure that I still hit my targets. I know that after we have brunch, I'm going to need to consume a protein shake because mm. if I don't, I'm just not going to hit my protein target, you know, like different things like that. We're, we're building them into the structure. And again, we're, we're making it applicable to the individual's life because again, what we want to have happen is you remove the structure or the, the scaffolding of my fitness pal and that structure still stands that structure yeah. is beautiful it's really strong it's really stable right and that's what we want to do and unfortunately a lot of the time that's not what happens people just use my fitness pal to be haphazard you know and they just wait till the end of the day to go it's basically uh it's a fucking spin the wheel oh did i hit my targets today or did i not you know and yeah. maybe they did maybe they didn't and that's not really the way you want to use something like my fitness pal you want to use it as a tool to build a good diet yeah like if you're just waiting till the end of the day there's no structure to it i mean and then again if you're passively just looking at that like oh didn't hit my targets that's what i was saying you have to have some sort of reflection and review for yourself or you do check-ins with a coach and that serves that purpose where it's like, okay, I didn't hit my targets. Why didn't I hit my targets? And like in that situation you're describing, if someone doesn't have a structure whatsoever, then it's going to be pretty difficult. Like if you're just kind of going at it randomly, and you're like, oh yeah, I know I have these numbers to hit, but if you've no sort of plan in place of how that comes together, which is basically what we've been discussing in the last while, um, you're going to struggle. Uh, another one that occurred to me is that people sometimes get concerned if they go and start eating different foods that aren't in their typical framework but again if you develop this fundamental understanding of nutrition like you'll get to see that all right a portion of rice is basically the same as a portion of pasta in terms of the, the macronutrient content and the calorie content like it's not that different even though yeah they're two different foods but they're both you know let's call them lower fiber carbohydrate sources, you know, if it's white pasta. So they're going to be pretty similar. And this applies to, you know, lean protein sources. It's yeah, like, like protein is probably the easiest one for people to understand because hundred grams of protein is, you know, usually somewhere in 20 to 25 grams of protein. Right. Yeah. So like, if you just know what roughly hundred grams looks like, you know what 20 to 25 grams of protein looks like. Yeah, like you can basically lump a lot of foods into these, like a few categories. So like you have lean proteins, which are going to be quite low in fat. And then you can have fatty proteins, which are probably around like 10, 15% fat content. And then there's a few that just lump into that category. Things like oily fish, things like, uh, you know, chicken thighs with like maybe the skin on certain cuts of beef, right? Because you can literally look at the, the packet and it's like, all right, it was 15% fat beef. So 
that means that for every 100 grams is 15 grams of fat 15 right um so you, you don't have to under you don't have to know the the composition of every single food because a lot of them are just very similar right you know like fruits and vegetables they're not going to vary that much and definitely in the context of those foods they're not going to vary enough that it matters for you um unless they've been drastically altered like you know if you're comparing you know dried apricots to fresh apricots yeah that's very different because all the water is extracted now it's more concentrated as a source of carbohydrates um but that, i mean that's one that i try and impart to people because you know you don't need to stress so much about oh this is the different food like I usually have two slices of toast, but now I'm having a bagel. It's like, all right, well, depending on how big the slices of toast are, they're going to be quite comparable. Um, and even if this is a case, you're kind of, you're starting to stress about it. You're going, oh, I, I don't know about this. That's a perfect opportunity to just whip out my fitness pal and yeah. go, what's a bagel? Oh, it's however many calories. What do I normally have? I normally have, I don't know, 300 calories from toast. I'm like, oh, the bagel is only 250 calories. I don't know what the fuck a bagel is, right? Um, but they're like, yeah, oh, it's about that. You know, I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm actually under consuming the calories that I know than I normally consume by eating this bagel, you know? So like, that's a perfect opportunity to just use my fitness pal again as a tool to kind of check the food choices, the food selection, you know, okay, I now know what this food is. It's, it's 250 calories or whatever it is, you know, like, okay, yeah. I'll add that to my fucking repository of knowledge and go mm. in the future, a bagel, probably roughly around 250 calories. And in particular, I like this for kind of dessert type foods, because like, you know, Patty, if I put a tray of desserts in front of you, you're like, geez, that apple tart looks way different to that chocolate mousse. And that, you know, white chocolate cookie is clearly not the same as that jam donut. But if you just think about the composition of those foods, like they're basically just like sugar, some sort of like oil or butter and some flour, like in a lot of these cases. So they actually have very similar nutrient compositions all right so you know i'll happily you know track a fucking cookie as a, a scone or something if that's what's more recent in my my fitness pile like frequently added foods or recently added foods or whatever um that's kind of a poor example but because i would just find the right thing but just so people understand it's like you know oh i went out for dinner and i had a slice of cheesecake and i, I just don't know like i have no concept of the the calories but if you're aware of like what a, some chocolate cake is or what a piece of tart is or whatever, it's going to be pretty similar. And they don't actually vary that much because the composition of what goes into them is very different, is very similar, even though the actual end result is quite different. And that stands true for in a lot of cases. Um, not, in, not in every single case, because you know, you'll get some that are kind of low fat or whatever, but in most cases it actually applies, even though the foods are very different. So, and that kind of applies across, you know, the spectrum of foods. And, you know, when we talk about like, uh, you know, our tier two nutrition programming, you know, we're talking about portions. It's like, okay, a well, portion of these foods is like in this range of, you know, grams of the macronutrient. And it's like, you know, so like, you know, the, the thumb size portion of fat is probably around 10 to 15 grams of fat. It'll be at the higher end if if the, the fat is more refined. So it's just like, you know, a tablespoon of olive oil versus say nuts, which are more of a mixed food. But again, if you have a rudimentary understanding of composition of foods, then that won't be a problem to you. Be able to recognize that. Um, obviously some foods are just really difficult or especially if you're having meals, like if you go yeah. to like an Indian, you know, for example, and you're like, 
I have no context. I'm getting this mm-hmm. random thing because someone at the table was like, oh, I had that the last time and it was, it was really good. And you're kind of going, you know, maybe you, you, you Googled what the fucking food is. You're like, I've, I've never, I've lost the ingredients in this. And you're like, I don't, I have, I have no context. Like it's something completely outside your wheelhouse. It's like, whatever. Like if I gave you Brian, I was like, oh, here's a plate of fish eyes or something, you know, you're not going to be like, oh, well, actually let me just fucking quickly calculate yeah. protein. Like you just don't know. You just do not have the context for it. Right. So some of the stuff like that, that's a perfect example where you're just going to use my fitness value. You're just going to go, okay, I'm going to find something that's in and around what I think is in front of me. And again, I'm just going to add that to my repository of knowledge in future. I'm like, okay, a, a curry, you know, I'm like, a curry is roughly whatever many calories and it contains this much fat. It contains this much protein. I'm looking at that and I'm just using it. I'm just, I'm going to find one on my fitness pal that I think is somewhere in and around what it should be, you know? And again, we've talked about that can, that can be quite hard. It, you know, we always have our bias of like, Oh, well, this is obviously the, the lowest calorie one, but either way, you know, we're choosing something and we're just going to build up our knowledge, right? We're just going to go, okay. So, you know, the choices that I generally make in the different food choices when I go out eating or whatever, this is how many calories are in there. And you don't need to have it like front and center of your mind, but you can always go into it with the idea of, okay, I need to consume 800 calories for this meal, you know, and I do it on my fitness pal before I order maybe. And I go, you know what, actually all the meals on this, except for this one are like 1500, 2000 calories, you know? So you're like, okay, so I have to be more aware of my food selection. And, you know, look, I'm not here to say like, oh, you can never eat out and you can never do any stuff like that. Like that's, that's ridiculous. You know, Mm. you can build a better understanding of how to structure our diet and still stay relatively on track just by having a better understanding of the calorie content of food, the macro content of food, and then integrating that into a broader structure of the diet. Anyway, Brian, I think that kind of gives everyone a good, well, hopefully at least gives everyone a good idea of how to start actually implementing this stuff. Right. And from a, you know, if you're a coach listening to this, hopefully I started getting you thinking of, okay, well, how would I actually coach someone through this? Because again, I know we have a lot of coaches listening listen to the podcast. I know we have a lot of like just individuals that are interested in their health and fitness. Um, so hopefully that kind of ties everything together because very often you'll just find nutrition discussions. They're just a, oh, eat this many calories, eat this much protein. And obviously look, that that's the fundamentals. We need to know that, you know, we can't do any of the downstream stuff unless we know that, you know, or we can do the downstream stuff, but we just don't really know why it's working. Right. So we have to do all of this stuff, or we at least have to have a a rudimentary understanding of all of this stuff. If we're going to have long-term success with the diet, right? Because once we've built good habits, once we've built good structure, it's actually really easy to stay in good habits and to stay in good structure, you know, because at least you know what it looks like. At least you know what needs to be done, right? If you're going into it and you've no idea what needs to be done or no idea what you know a good diet is supposed to look like, you're fucking pissing in the dark, right? You just you you've no idea, right? You might you know hit the target, you might not. You just don't know. You don't know where the target is, right? Um, but is there anything you want to say, Brian, to kind of wrap this up? And if not, um, do you have coaching spaces available? I've very few coaching spaces available but i do have a couple um like one or two but uh dean also has some spaces so um if you are interested in working with the nutrition team uh, we can definitely help you out um i would be delighted to do so so follow the relevant links um and yeah or you know message us on on instagram or whatever it is you want to do however you want to contact us uh, the space is there um there was something i wanted to add at the end and now it's escaped my brain um 
no, I think that's, well, I can't remember the thing I was going to add, so I can't add it, can I? Um, but no, that should hopefully give people a good uh, framework of how, how to think about this stuff and then how to get people thinking about this stuff. Because um, as you said, like it's all fine and well to be like, oh, this is how many grams of this nutrient you should eat. But unless you have some sort of conceptual framework of how you implement that, then it can be a little bit tricky to bridge that gap between A and B. But hopefully that gives people good idea and uh, thanks for listening 100 anyway guys you can always find us on social media you know the links are below it is always helpful when you share like subscribe to the podcast like that really does help and i've said it before like it's actually a disproportionate impact because you know if you share the podcast maybe three of your friends follow the podcast and then if they share it, three of their friends you know it's like it's a very very easy feed forward mechanism for us. And I know, look, I rarely share podcasts. I rarely, I'm like, oh, you know what? Actually, this is a really good podcast episode. Let me just put it on my story. You know, like I rarely do that. However, we do share other people's podcasts in our, our newsletter and stuff like that. So we're not against it personally. And it really helps our business. So, you know, do that if you if you are so uh, persuaded, uh, I suppose. Um, other than that, we do have coaching spaces available for full coaching and for nutrition specific coaching. Again, get in contact. The relevant links are below. If you're interested, you're probably going to jump on a call with Brian. He's probably going to go through whether or not what we offer is a good fit for you. Sometimes he might just, you know, get your intake form and go, look, this is actually a perfect fit. I can just already tell. And you might not need to jump on a call, but either way, you'll be in contact with Brian if you are interested in coaching and we can go through the options because we have a variety of options. And this is one of those things where we do actually get a lot of inquiries of just what is price of coaching? Like it, it's pretty bad grammar as well, which I'm not, I'm not giving out to people, but it's just clear that someone just wants to know the price and it's just really quickly like sending a message off on their phone. Right. Yeah. And that's fine. Like I, we're, we're not like, you know, holding nuclear launch codes or something going like, you know, you can, we can't tell you, but we have a variety of services available. So it's not like we just have a set price list. Like we have set price lists, but it depends on, what you're actually looking for you know like when people say like how much is coaching i'm like i don't know what you mean are you talking about injury and rehabilitation coaching are you talking about nutrition specific coaching are you talking about like female health specific coaching like what are we actually talking about who who's the coach that you need or want and what are we trying to achieve so like the more information even if you're going to ask us going like how much would coaching be like give us some sort of, some, some sort of context of, some sort of context being like oh yeah i actually you know i broke my arm and i'm coming back to training and i also have binge eating issues yeah. i'm like okay cool and now i know who on the team is probably going to be able to work with you and i can give you a specific price list for that you know but if you just come and go how much coaching i, I we can't give you a price list because i'm like there's so much i'm not going to give you this wall of text and be like and if this like you know i'm not saying i'm gonna do it you know yeah. um anyway ryan do you have anything else to add otherwise we will wrap this up and hopefully people will enjoy it no we can leave it there that's all good fantastic anyway guys we'll see you in the next one